our study of Simha. We are in class number 33. This class will be given for the Zechut and the Fuashlema of Yitzhak ben Hanom Hana, Be'ezrat Hashem, Elna Refanalo, Elna Refanalo, you'll have Refuashlema Bekarov, Amen. Some time back, <clears throat> I saw a friend that I haven't seen in a very long time. And I asked him how life was going, if he had any challenges recently in his life. You see a person you haven't seen in a long time. You don't know what they're going through, what they've been through. So when I asked him how challenging life has been for him, so I saw that he started to think a little harder, trying to figure out what challenges does he have in his life. And he's thinking. And he says to me, yes, Six months ago, I had a challenge, a very big challenge. And when he said six months ago was his last big challenge, I was actually shocked. I knew that this person was married. You're married and the last challenge you had was six months ago? Is that, is that possible? I knew that he had children. How could it be that you have children in your home or even not in your home and you're not faced with challenges daily? Are you making good choices, bad choices, good reactions, the wrong reactions? Did I say the right thing? Maybe I shouldn't have said, am I being strong enough? Am I being too weak? I knew this man runs a business. Could it be a person who runs a business, doesn't have daily challenges of honesty, of how you treat employees, on and on and on. I knew he had a mother that was an almana. That's not a challenge of, are you taking care of her? Are you making the right decisions? Are you there enough? This person has friends. He has neighbors. He has relatives. Could it be all these relationships have not brought him challenges in the last six months?
it's clear that as the Pasuk in Iyov says, Lirga'im Tivhanenu. Lirga'im means by the moments. The tests of life, the challenges of life are by the moment. If you could imagine life like driving on a highway. And on this highway, there are intersections. These intersections are the nisyonot of life. They're the challenges of life. This highway called life, the nisyonot, these intersections, where you have to decide, are you going right, left, forward, backwards? are happening literally by the minute in life. As soon as you finish one, your car is entering another one. Life is not a place where you could say, or anybody could say, unless God forbid you're in a coma for six months, that the last challenge I had is six months ago. In these intersections of life, decisions have to be made. The right decision, the wrong decision. Of course, making the right decision is the road to our destination of success. The wrong decisions obviously will have consequences in everything that we do. From relationships to marriage, to our happiness, to our stay in this world, to our olam haba, decisions are going to bring either positive or negative results. That's obvious. But perhaps the biggest danger of this highway that we're on is that we don't even realize that we're passing these intersections. I think at the very least, if we make mistakes in our decision-making, at the very least we're making decisions. But to go through life on a highway with intersections and you don't even stop to look because you don't even know that you're being asked to decide something and you're just moving forward as if there's nothing happening that perhaps is the greatest danger of all. It's clear that my friend is a person living on autopilot. He's going through life, and if you'll ask me, well, isn't he deciding things? What, is, what does that mean? Of course he decides. He decided to get up in the morning. He decided to go to sleep. He decided to go to work. He decided to speak to his wife. He decided to go here. Of course he's deciding. Which person do you know is living life without deciding? What does that mean?
Ask yourself a question. Are you deciding? Or are you not deciding? Is there anyone in this room that came here today without deciding? So isn't that a decision? So what kind of friend am I speaking to? What, what kind of guy is this? That I'm saying he's on autopilot. So I want to alert you to something that's very important because I don't want anybody here to be confused. Because it can get a little bit confusing. There are two systems of thinking in the human brain. It's very important to know this information. We'll call it system one and system two. We all have it. System one is an automatic, an unconscious way of thinking. We call it autopilot. I don't know if you realize, but an average adult makes over 35,000 decisions a day. Repeat that again. 35,000 decisions a day. That's over 2,000 decisions an hour. Did you think that you made a thousand or 2,000 decisions today from 11 o'clock till 12 o'clock? 35,000 decisions we make a day? That must be not us. I don't think I make 35,000 decisions. That's a lot of decisions. But the answer is that there's a part of our brain in system one that makes decisions without us consciously making the decision. A person could drive in a car for an hour or two, get to their destination safely, and if someone would ask them, so tell me, what happened in the last hour? How many cars did you see? What did they look like? How many times you change? Which lane were you driving in? The middle lane? The left lane? How fast were you going? They probably wouldn't remember any of the details. It just happened. And the reason why they don't remember, because they really didn't pay attention. But then how did they get there safely then? The answer is that the human mind learns how to drive. And at some point, could drive the car basically without your active decision-making. You're deciding to change lanes, but you're really not involved in that decision. It's your system one that's just driving alone. In system one, decisions are made, but you're not making them. For example, a young child learns how to walk. Learning how to walk and walking re requires decisions. How to step, how to move, how to balance. Look at a child learning how to walk. It's not so simple. But at some point, if they're focused and they're concentrating, they're able to make the right steps with balance, without falling. If you see a young child learning how to walk and they finally got it, they're very focused on walking. Just like a new driver, 
when they first drive, they're focused on the road. They're focused on every step of the way. But then system one comes in to the picture. And in system one, the brain has already learned what to do in this situation because you've done it so many times. So it knows how to walk, it knows how to step, it knows how to balance. It doesn't need your involvement, but you're making a decision. But not consciously. System two, on the other hand, is something that you put an effort in, that you actually decided, you paid attention, you put your energy and you made a decision to do something. The question is, is it better to think in system one or system two? Is system one a good creation altogether? Or is it better just to be on system two? So the answer is, like everything Hashem makes, for good reason, as long as we use it for good reason. System one is a tremendous asset to every human every single day. Because it allows us to actively think about important things. So system one takes away all of our unimportant decisions. For example, the need to balance ourselves while we're walking. Let that be on system one. While I'm driving, let that be on system one. The way I eat, the way I grab, the way I move, the way... System one. Why bother myself and take energy for things that really don't make a difference? So system one is a tremendous asset to all of us because it allows us to go through life making thousands of decisions a day without putting the energy in actually deciding. So it's a gift. Otherwise, imagine we would have to walk every day like the first day we walked. So it would be impossible because you couldn't do anything while you're walking. Today, while I'm walking, I'm on the phone, I'm looking at somebody else, giving them a little hint to go ahead. All that while I'm moving. I could never do that. So system one is so important for us. But system one can be very dangerous for the important decisions of life. Because if you're at an intersection of important decisions, decisions of value, how you're living your life, is this the way to my simha? Is this the way to raise my family? Am I making the right decisions? Did I react? the right way? Should I be doing that right now? What should I say right now? Should I keep quiet right now? Important decisions for your relationships in this world with the creator of the world. These decisions, if you put them in system one, what does that mean to put decisions like that in system one? I'll give you, I'm going to give you an example. I mentioned this example before. I'm going to use the same exact one, although I can give 
millions of variations to this example. But it's such an obvious example that I think all of us can appreciate. The Navi in Yeshaya quoting Hashem says that the Jewish people are guilty not necessarily of doing the wrong things but he says even though you come to me and you pray and maybe even bring expensive sacrifices but yet your relationship with me he calls it the words in Hebrew are it's important to know these words mitzvat anashim melumada mitzvat anashim means it's people who are doing good things that's great I wish that in our generation they would come and say listen we looked into the Jewish people and you're all doing good things you're all doing mitzvot Wonderful. That's what happened then. But then he adds a word to it. It's not just mitzvat anashim. It's mitzvat anashim melumada. Maze melumada. What does melumada mean? The word melumada comes from a familiar word that you all know. Means to be lomed. Lomed means to learn. What does melumada mean? Melumada means that you're doing what you're doing based on the way you learned it and you haven't thought about it again since you learned it. I'll give you an example. Person goes to pray. Men could appreciate this perhaps more than women. Because men are in shul. You have men in shul every morning. Hours of investment. Shahrit, minha, arbit. And I say to praise them. That most of them don't understand a word they're reading. They're reading and they don't understand a word. And they're doing this exercise for close to an hour and a half a day. Shabbat, more. Rosh Hashanah, Kippur, holidays, more. Can I ask you how long you would last reading a book that's written in Chinese? How, how long could you read words that you don't understand? How often could you do that? How is it possible that you have literally tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that open a book on a daily basis, they give up sleep time, ready, out of bed, they give up work time, they put all types of energy to go open a book and they don't understand the word. Now I say, I'm saying this to their credit. That's unbelievable. What a sacrifice. I don't know that I could do that. When I read my tefillah, I understand what I'm saying. I'm connecting to it. 
I actually enjoy it. It means something. If I stand up, I know why I just stood up. And if I sat down, I know why I sat down. And if I'm saying something loud, I know why. And if I'm not saying it loud, I'm saying it low, I understand why. And if I put my hand over my, 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 my eyes, I understand why. But you have a person next to you who's doing this for longer than you and doesn't understand the word. And the amazing part of it all is that he's actually content with it. How could you be content opening a book for two hours a day and not understanding? How is that possible? Take a Baal Teshuvah. We just heard about Judaism. He grew up as a secular Jew, knows nothing. Only thing he knows is Hebrew because he's Israeli. Knows nothing. And you take him to shul for the first time in his life. And he said, here, here's the book. Page 21, open up. Read. Read this. Okay, uh, stand up now. Oh, sit down. Take your hands right now and cover your eyes. I'll let you know when to take them off. Now stand and close your eyes. Okay, open them now. Okay, take a fist and start pounding your chest. Okay, now raise your feet three times. You know how long he will do this until he says, stop? My bet is he will not go five minutes. And he says, hold on a minute. Can we stop? What in the world are we doing? What are we doing? What is this? What are we saying? Why did we open to that page? Why did we just get up? Why did we just sit down? What are we doing? Could you explain this to me? I feel like a robot. What is it that I'm doing now? I believe five minutes max. If he's very patient and he trusts you a lot, maybe 10. So how is it possible that you have people for 70 years are doing this? And it's not like they're upset about it. It's not like they're searching. If you would ask them, guys, what are you doing? They would say, what do you mean? If you would ask them, what are you saying? They would look at you like, what does it matter? Like, what do you mean? I'm praying. How could that be? What happened to them? On one hand, I said we should praise them because it's really a heroic act to do this. But on the other hand, we have to figure out how they can survive like this. And the answer to this question is a real answer, but it's a little sad because it really implicates all of us, not only in tefillah. This is an answer for many of us for much of what we do in life. You see, this 75-year-old man, once in his life was taught how to pray. Usually that time was when he was four or five years old. And at four or five, he wasn't capable to understand the meaning of tefillah, the words of tefillah, what the purpose of this whole thing is. At that time, they only gave him what he was capable to do, which is to read. 
So for an entire year or two, they said, read. Read, go, repeat after me. Stand up, sit down. Hashem, stand up. Amida now, okay, serious. Put a serious face on, right now. Now that's a necessary part of Hinuch. You're not gonna wait till he's mature and start teaching how to read. The goal, of course, is that one day, this person will mature and wake up and start making decisions for himself. That one day he should pray himself and understand why and what. But he doesn't because it's melumada. The word melumada means you're doing something today exactly how you learned it. It doesn't matter that when you learned it, you had no idea and weren't capable of understanding what you're doing. But you're going in the same system. We do this for tefillah. We do this for our values. Shabbat. Many people, they keep the Shabbat that they either grew up with in their home or they learned about in school. But they never actually thought about the Shabbat that's going to be theirs. A decision that they made to understand the Shabbat, to do it with a new mindset, something fresh, not melumada. You're still praying like you're five years old. You never graduated. You're keeping the Shabbat that you learned by your mother or your grandma. Hello, you gotta graduate. Each and every one of us has this section of our lives called melumada. I'm not talking about the bad things that we do. The opposite. I'm talking about the good things that we do. Even the good things that we do, it's just robotic. It's system one. Okay, Tuesday afternoon came, we go to class on Tuesday afternoons. That's what we do. We are people that go to class. When did we decide that? 25 years ago. And we're still on that system. That's called melumada. Instead of coming to a class and say, hey, I'm ready, I, I wanna learn something. For many of us, it becomes the habit. I go to shul, this is what I wear, this is what I don't wear, this is how I make my birachot, or if I don't, this is the way I act, this is the way I do. It's melumada. There comes a time in life where a person's gotta take his life back. You gotta start making your own decisions. Decisions that are gonna be yours. Not living somebody else's dream. Not living somebody else's textbook. Not praying in somebody else's sidur. It's gotta be yours. You gotta take your life back. You gotta make decisions. The highway of life is something that we're all on. And decisions are being asked of us constantly. You think I gave you only two or three examples? They're endless. 
How you wake up in the morning? Melumada. You have a way of doing it. How many times have you heard people say, that's who I am? That's who I am means I am an autopilot. I just do whatever I've always been doing. The way you see people in the morning and the way you react. Are you a person who's warm when you see somebody? Or are you a person who's tough? All your reactions during the day to whatever happens to you, you think that you're deciding, but you're an autopilot. You've set up a system and you fit in that system. However you got there, maybe it was through your mother, your father, your rabbi, your teacher. Maybe it was the environment around you. Maybe you read about it in books. Maybe you one time decided yourself. And you just continued. You said, this is who I am. For the good or not for good. This is what I do. This is my Shabbat. This is the way I think. This is the way I do things. That's the way I raise my children. That's the way I dress. That's the way my Shabbat table looks. That's the way I wake up. That's the way I go to sleep. That's the way I vacation. That's the way I spend my time. Everything is just automated. It looks like you're deciding, but it's all or majority could be on system one. That's called melumada. Melumada means you're living something that you were taught years before. And you know who's missing in these decisions? You. You're not there. It's like a person riding a horse. And the horse just keeps going. Somebody asks you, where are you going? Say, I don't know. Ask the horse. That's what happens to us. System one is the horse. He's just going. He's just doing. We must be aware that the challenges of, a, of life are literally, literally, at every moment. Maybe it's too much for us to handle, but they're certainly not six months apart. They're by the minute. They're by the hour. You've had already many challenges today. Could be you made good on many of them, and could be you failed a bunch of them. And the sad part is, you don't even know about it. It could be you made this terrible mistake this morning, and you don't even realize. Because you're not even aware that there was a challenge this morning. You missed it. You know, I realized that there are Jews, like my friend, who will call them Jews that are waiting for Akedat Yitzhak. You know Jews like that? You know Akedat Yitzhak? That was a very big challenge. Akedat Yitzhak. Hashem tells Abraham, here you go. This is gonna be a big one. I want you to sacrifice your son. Now Abraham, believe me, at that moment he knew this was a challenge. There are people like me and you who think of challenges only in a grand way. Gadlut, the big challenges of life. God forbid someone is sick, big. 
Someone's got a big nisayon financially. Big. Someone's going through a hard time in their relationships. Big. When we see nisyonot, or when we think about nisyonot, challenges, we see the big ones. But be careful of being that type of person. I'll give you what the comparison is like. There were a bunch of men or a bunch of people that went fishing. And they're there all day with their nets, fishing. At the end of the day, all of them came back with nets full of sardines, full. And one guy came back with them completely empty. The guy didn't catch one fish. Everyone is shocked. We were all together in the same water. We put the nets in the same way. How could it be that each guy walked out with hundreds of fish and you have not one fish? So he told them, my fishing net has holes only to catch big whales. If your net is only looking to catch the big whales, then all the little fish that you caught fell right through. And you come up in the end empty. There are people who are looking for the big nisyonot of life. They're waiting for those big challenges if they come. Those are the ones that register on their mind. And those are the ones that they're thinking about. Do I have any challenges? Let me see. Challenges? Six months ago. That's a guy with a net that's got a hole for a whale. For six months straight, his net came up empty. Many fish came through that net. He didn't catch one. Because he's not focused on the small, daily, minute-by-minute challenges. And they fell right through. We should be careful not to come up empty on a daily basis in this world that we're living in. Because it's the challenges of life that make a great life. And it's the decisions that we make through those challenges. But we got to have a net that's ready to catch them. So many small things. I want to go just give you a few examples. Because I feel it's unfair just to talk too general. How a person wakes up in the morning. That's in Nisayon. You all had a Nisayon this morning, just like me. Would you wake up at the time you're supposed to? Not only the time, how do you wake up? What's your mood when you wake up? Some people will say, me, I'm very moody in the morning. Who wrote that in your contract? Where did that, where does it say it on your birth certificate? 
That you're the moody person in the morning. What does that mean? Oh, I get very annoyed when people do that. Why? Who said that? Who wrote you off for the rest of your life that this is what you are and what you do? Wrong. You decided to be moody this morning. You made a decision. It was a nisayon. And maybe you failed. Did you wake up the time that you wanted? Turning over one more time in the bed could be your nisayon this morning that you failed. If you were supposed to get up. How you go to sleep? Guess what? That's a nisayon. You can go to sleep in a healthy, happy, positive, successful way, or maybe not. You probably never thought about that. What do you mean? I just go to sleep. What does that mean? I sleep the way I've been sleeping for the last 50 years. Exactly. You never even thought about it. There was a man years ago, who was close to, one morning he came to me, he says, listen, I need your help. He says, in the morning I wake up, my mind is all over the place. My day is just, I feel like I'm going, I'm being thrown like a ping pong ball from thing to thing. My mind is not, may you shav, I have no peace of mind. So I don't know why I said this to him. Meaning why specifically him? So I asked, I want to ask you a question. How do you go to sleep at night? He says, you know, like most people, I go to sleep. He has a uh, little item in his hand with buttons. And he keeps pushing the buttons. Not really sure if he's actually seeing anything. Just pushing buttons. From one button to the other. Next button, that button. And then at some point, miraculously, he falls asleep. I said, listen to me. I said, I'm not a Navi, I'm not a prophet, but I can tell you for sure that you're not sleeping right. That's not the way you're supposed to go to sleep. I said, take it upon yourself, shut that thing off, get rid of your buttons, buy a book, a book about your grandpa, a book about somebody's grandpa, a book about a great rabbi, a great woman, a great personality. Baruch Hashem today, Hashem gave us the ability, so many books to read, about so many great people. So put it next to your bed. I said, when you're ready to go to sleep, open the book, start turning to page one, read page one. I said, guarantee you, you wouldn't get to page two. That's just the nature of human beings. But guess what? You went to sleep reading something valuable. You went to sleep relaxed. The way you sleep is the way you wake up. And it turns so much of your day in a different path. Now, I don't know if that's going to solve everyone's issues here. But I could tell you, this guy literally transformed. Two months later, he came to the water, you have no idea. You have no idea the difference 
that made. It's not a miracle. It is a reality. That decision is a decision. How you go to sleep. How many people actually thought about, okay, I'm going to sleep every night. How should I go to sleep? What's the right way to go to sleep? You never thought about it. Most people never thought about it. You know why? Because they've been sleeping since they were a baby. How'd they go to sleep then? They weren't thinking about it then. But it's a decision. How you go to sleep is a decision. Hopefully you're making it. And if you make good decisions, you're going to reap the fruits of your investment. A person walks the streets. You see people. What are you thinking? You know, every person that you see, you're making a decision. Do you know that? Every person that you see, you're actually making a decision. What decision am I making? It's called judging. Every person that I see, I already coined them. Yeah, that's the, that's the angry person. That's Miss Annoying. That one, Miss Arrogant. Oh, that's the one that likes to talk a lot. Do you know you have a name for every person in this room? And guess what? Even if you don't know them, you just size them up and say, they're probably arrogant. Every person that we see, we size them up. Who they are, what I see in that person, do I see the good in the person? Do I see the bad in the person? Listen, none of us are angels, I don't think. That means everybody in this room has plenty of good, but also probably some things that they would probably be better off without. When you see a person, which part of the person are you looking at? Are you seeing the good of the person or the bad of the person? That's called you made a decision. What you decided to see the next time you saw somebody, you're making a decision. Maybe you didn't realize it. Maybe you'll say, that's just the way I am. I just always see the bad in people. It's the way you are because you're on system one. Because that's the way you were when you were little. And you never took your life back. So you're still looking at the negative in every person that you see. What do you do when it rains? Do you complain? Probably most of us do, because that's the way we were taught. So we continue complaining about the same things that we've always complained about. We're not even deciding. How a person walks into the house that they live in. Did you decide how to walk into your house? Now you probably think I'm nuts right now. What do you mean? What do you mean? Walk into my house. Open the door and you walk in. What does that mean? Did you ever sit down and ask yourself, 
what's the right way to walk into my house? You never did. So how do you walk into your house? Probably, melumada. Probably the way you've been walking in since you were five. You ever see a five-year-old walk into the house after a rough day of school? What's for dinner? Takes his shoes, throws them on one side of the house, his jacket on the other side of the house. Now, of course, when you get a little older, you have a little more busha. You wouldn't do that. But you have the same attitude. It's the same annoying attitude. Ah, oh, finally home. Ah. Oh. How do you walk into your house and you greet the people in the house for the first time that you saw them after you walked in? Do you know that that decision could change your entire family life? The way you walk into your house? I'm not exaggerating. I'm not trying to be dramatic. Shalomu HaMelech says, Tov aharit davar a good ending only happens mereshito from the beginning. The way you greet the people in your home and your attitude in the way you walk into your house has the biggest hashpa'a of that house. You walk into your house annoyed, face down, angry, frustrated. Everybody in that house feels everything that you're giving off. And you bring that house from being a potentially powerful home of simha, of strength, of positivity, and you with a five second walk-in have made a decision to ruin the people and their mood of that house. But you'll say, but I didn't decide, you did. But you did it melumada. That's the way you've been walking in since kindergarten. You gotta decide, how do I walk into my house? Guess what? How do I react when somebody in the family comes home? What happens when a wife comes home? What does the husband do? What's the decision? What happens when your father comes home? What happens when your mother comes home? What's your decision? Do you stay laying on the couch as if nobody walked in when your husband comes home? That's a decision that you made. And it's gonna affect the future of your home. Because when a wife or husband show excitement for the other, it will bring the children as well to appreciate their father and their mother, which would mean they will listen to them and be happier making good decisions because of them, which means, you know how many things are gonna happen because of the way you greet your husband? Did you ever think about, how do I greet people when they walk into my house? Probably not. Melumada. It's just the way I do it. It's the way I walk in. 
It's the way I greet. How do we relate to people who anger us? What's your decision when someone does something to anger you? What's your decision? You ever hear people say, Oh, she makes me so angry. That is such a terrible line. She made you angry? Or did you get angry? Who decided to get angry? You? Or what she decided for you? You see, a melumada person knows there's a trigger to get me angry. So if that pushes the trigger, if that person says, boom, here he is. So they made me angry because you're already unautomated. You already have decided sometime years ago that when someone says this to you, you get angry. When someone does this to you, you scream to show them who's boss. Now it could be today you're much smarter and you realize that screaming may not be so good for you. But you've already made your decision so many years back. And now people are making you angry instead of realizing you got angry. Take your life back. To think about your relationships, even when the people are not there with you. To think during the day what you could do to improve your marriage or your relationship with your children or with your parents. Maybe a phone call, maybe a message, maybe a little item that you could buy to say, I'm thinking about you. You know how far that goes? You know how many fish you can catch in your little net? By sending a message to your mom or grandma or to your daughter or to your son or to your husband? A small little gift just to say, I was in the store and I was thinking about you. You know how far that goes? That's a decision that you make. Are you doing those things to enhance the power of the relationships in your life? No, I don't do those things. That's not the kind of person I am. You're always hearing this talk from us. It's not the kind of person. I don't do that type of stuff. That's not really me. It looks so weird. These are all comments made by people who have stopped making real decisions in their life. I mean, yes, when they go to a restaurant, they'll choose sushi. And they say, look at me, I decided. They'll decide to buy that dress and not that dress. Look at me, I have my life in my own hands. Those are not real decisions. At least not very meaningful ones. The meaningful ones, unfortunately, are the ones that are ignored. How do you pray? Do you know, I could tell you, I'm not so smart, and you could too. You give me a hundred men that walk into this room, and I will tell you exactly how they will pray for the next hour. One guy will probably talk for an hour straight. One guy will have his siddur open, but probably be looking at the beautiful room that we're in, and just gazing, and not really paying any attention. One guy will actually say the beginning of the tefillah, but he'll fall out somewhere in the middle. 
One guy will make it from the beginning to the end and never takes his eye off his ego. Do you know how predictable every single person, next time you go to shul, go to shul on a Shabbat morning and just don't pray. Put your siddur on the side. Do me a favor and study one section of the men's section and study each guy. Look at them from beginning to end. It is my absolute bet that you come the next Shabbat, you will see the same exact picture with no difference in the video. It's almost as if it was just repetition. The same guy who prays well, does it again. And the guy who doesn't, also doesn't. And the guy in between, did you ever stop to think, how do you pray? How do you pray? What is the right way to pray? You could be praying the same way you've been praying the rest of your life till now. But who says that's the right way to pray? Maybe it's time to rethink it. Maybe it's time to regroup and re-decide. Listen, what is this that I'm doing now? What's the right way to do it? What's the best way to do it? Whether you're praying for an hour or for 10 minutes, it makes no difference. How do you go shopping? And I'm not talking about sinyut. Most people go shopping with other people's eyes. They're only looking to see how they look in that item in front of people. It's not so much if I like it or it's comfortable for me. It's what is the status that people will see when I wear that? So my decisions, it seems, are mine, but they're not. I'm shopping for a car based on other people's eyes. When I go to somewhere, I decide first what other people will say if they would see me there. It's become a mindset of mine. That when I decide things, I'm thinking about the people I'm trying to impress and what will make them happy with me. Whether it's what I wear or how I talk or to whom I speak with. I need to make sure that I stay within the box that I think they will like to see on me. And therefore, I make decisions based on that. Deciding where you go on a vacation. Deciding what you do with your free time. Deciding how to raise your children. What is it that you want from your family? What type of children do you want to see when they are older? What is it that you want them to be involved in? Are you making decisions? Or are you just living out the script that somehow you got connected to. The decisions you make, whether you like it or not, are taking you places. You must think about that. The hinuch of our children. How about the way we work? The way we deal with our employees? You ask a fellow, listen, why did you talk like that to your secretary? 
You just went crazy and went wild in your office. That's the way I do things. Everyone knows that. Terrible mistake. Terrible mistake. You could be hurting yourself. How you act in your business. What's your values? You know, some people will say, ah, I'm not into that. Why not? I'm not into that. There are some people very into giving charity. And some people, not. Why are you not into that? When did you decide that? Probably it was made years ago. For some reason that we probably won't even remember. And you coined yourself as the person that when someone comes for money, you're the person who says, no. And now you're just living with the same script. Your values have to be reconsidered again. What's important in life? What are my values? Is it important to give charity? Is it important to get up from your couch if somebody needs you? Is it important to keep Shabbat? Is it important to give respect to the Shabbat? Is it important to do A or B on Shabbat? That's a decision you have to make and you have to re- Take your life back. How do you talk about people? When something juicy comes up, what's your relationship to your mouth? Are you the type of person that just lets everything go? That's just who I am. I don't, I don't think about these things. It's a mistake. That's a challenge. The words that you said this morning about somebody may not have been appropriate. It's a challenge. You get the idea. There isn't the thing that you could do in your life that you're not actually deciding something. And the biggest mistake you and I can make is that we don't even realize that we're deciding. I would say better to decide wrong than not to decide at all. Make a decision. Living life without making decisions, you're not really living. You have someone else living your life. It's a big tragedy. The time is passing. You know, one classroom, one teacher posted in the classroom and he writes, time passes, will you pass? Time is passing us and there's constant challenges. Are we passing? We have to ask ourselves constantly. I want to read for you the words of the Misilat Yesharim. The Misilat Yesharim says, If you think this might be like a nice subject about a topic that's like a, you know, once in a while type of item, says the Mesilad Yesharim. Hine, he's sorry, he says, he says, Ki, kol inyane ha'olam, kol inyane ha'olam means whatever is transpiring in your life, kol, everything. Ben letov, something good happened to you this morning. Ben lera, or something not so good happened. 
They are challenges. He says, if Hashem blessed you with wealth, that's a huge challenge. You know how many people have lost to the challenge of wealth? They used to be such kind, humble, happy-go-lucky people who are friendly with everybody, raising their children with the right values, and all of a sudden, they made money. Money could be great. Money could be destructive. Money has destroyed more families in our community than anything else. All of a sudden, the arrogance which comes with anger, which comes with a terrible attitude in the house, which comes with less friends, which comes with very, very short, short, very short leeway for anyone to make mistakes around you because you are now the Melech Malcheham Lachim. You are the King of Kings. Look how much money you have. And then your children start to get that ga'ava. And all of a sudden they start growing up in a very, very terrible environment that you put them in. Why? Because of your wealth. You failed the test of wealth. Wealth is not a gift. Wealth is a nisayon. Says the Mislay Sharim, if you're wealthy, Wake up. Start to make decisions. Wealth could be a gift if you know how to use it. And he says, Vehaoni, and the poor person is also got his hands full. He has his share of nisyonot. So the good things that are going on in your life, or the not so good things, the things you were expecting and the unexpected. Good health, not such good health. Great children, that great child you were looking forward to. You were looking for that perfect child who's going to be doing everything perfectly right. And you got the opposite. And the neighbor's child, look how gorgeous the guy is. So nice. So responsible. My son, I can't get him up till three in the afternoon. That guy's up by himself seven o'clock in the morning. That's your challenge. Your challenge is that boy. And her challenge is that boy. And maybe there are other challenges in her life. No matter what's going on in your life, is your husband difficult? Nisayon. Easygoing? Nisayon. Because an easygoing husband also could bring out the worst in you too. Sometimes the one that's difficult scares you a little. But also, if he's very easygoing, you can become a real difficult person. Nisayon, both ways. Be careful. He says, At shenimtza. Oh, he says, Hashalva, when everything is going well in your life. I hope everything is going perfect in your life. But says the Mesilat Yesharim, even if we hope for that, it's a Nisayon. If things are going well right now, everything is just calm and nice, it's a Nisayon. Be careful. 
that comfort and that calm can actually bring you to very bad decisions. It can bring you to laziness, to irresponsibility, and to losing track of your values in life. And if there's Yisurim, there are difficulties in your life, God forbid. Nisayon. He says, Ad, he says, if you look at the world, you're on a highway, he says. Ad milhama, you're in a war zone, that's panim, panim means in front, ve'ahor, and in the back. What does he mean by that? You have nisyonot, you have challenges in the front and in the back. What does that mean, the front and the back? So simply it means wherever you turn. But a great rabbi explained that there are two types of yetzerah, if we can generalize. There's a yetzerah that's pulling you ahor, it's pulling you back. He wants you to be involved in the wrong things. You have a teenage boy, a teenage girl, an older couple, doesn't matter the age. There are things in life that are looking to take them backwards. The wrong place to be, the wrong thing to do, the wrong environment to be involved in. The wrong decision, back, ahor. Be careful from the things that are taking you back. So what's panim? Where's the yetzerah of the front? The yetzerah in the front is when Hashem gives you opportunities in life to move forward. He gives you a moment. He inspired you. You went to a class and you were inspired. Someone called you and said, you want to get involved with this? Someone said, come on, we're going to shul on Shabbat morning. We're going to go here. You want to come? Your mother says, come, I need you to take, do something for me. Hashem gave you a moment. He gave you a panim. He gave you a direction to go forward. The Yetzirah says, come on, rest up. You're relaxing on your couch now. Your mother could wait till tomorrow. You're the only person that could open their house. Come on, big deal. You have to get involved. Why are you better than anybody else? Of course, all types of logical reasoning that are really not going to get you anywhere in life. Hashem gives you opportunities to go forward. It could be small decisions or big ones. It could be for yourself, it could be for your husband, it could be for your wife, it could be for your children. It's a small decision. Panim, Panim says, I gave you a chance to jump forward. You got to be careful of those nisyonot. Because if you don't jump forward, you're going to jump backwards. That's what happened with Ruth. Ruth HaMu'aviyah, one of the greatest women in our history, that really she was not even supposed to be in our history altogether. A woman who came from wealth, who came from power. A princess and she saw and was inspired by Judaism and its values. A goy doesn't have to convert. There is no mitzvah to convert for a goy. He can live as a goy and get olam haba if he practices his goy life. 
keep his mitzvot. We, Am Yisrael, do not tell people that if you don't join Am Yisrael, you're doomed for eternity. The opposite. We tell them, do your job, you're doing great. You don't need to convert. Ruth was inspired. She was inspired to join the Jewish people. But it would come at a cost. She has to move out of her country. She has no money. She has no one to take care of her. And Naomi tells her that. Naomi tells her, there's nothing here for me to give you. I have nothing to give you. You have a palace waiting for you. You have fame waiting for you. You have money waiting for you. What are you doing with me? Ruth and her sister Orpah, both of them said, no, we're coming with you. This is a decision we're making because we see we're inspired. We're ready to jump in. And Naomi said, come on girls, go back home, go back to your parents, go back to your country. There's nothing sweet about going with me. It's gonna be too hard. And Orpah, instead of going forward, like Ruth did, she went back home. She went Ahor. She went backwards. Ruth, as you know, took the panim and moved forward with it. She was inspired. She had plenty of excuses not to go forward. But she made a decision and she went forward. She became one of the greatest women in the history of our people. The mother of David Melech, of Mashiach. All the great people that came from Ruth. Orpah, you ask? What happened with her? She too was inspired. So what happened with her? What was her ending? So you would say, okay, she just didn't take it. No, she ended up being from the lowest of the low. I don't want to describe what the Midrash says. She was involved in already that night. She was the mother of Goliath Harasha. An opportunity forward. You don't take it. Going backwards. Hashem gives you a chance. Panim ve'ahor. Today as you walk around, you're going to have opportunities. The small ones. Judging every person. Greeting every person. How do you greet people? When you see them, do you make them feel like they're hashuv and special? Unfortunately, the society we live in preaches the opposite. That when you see someone, show them that you don't care about them. Show them that you're not important to me. I don't need you. You're not important. You say hello to me. I say hello to you. That's the ruach of the great people that are living in now times. I walk around with my head up. You need to come to me. You're lucky if I talk to you. comes the Torah and says, no, 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 no. You make every person feel like they're the most important person in your life for that moment. When a person comes to see you, nisayon. It's a nisayon, handle it. Clearly we fail in life. 
If you come and say today, you know what? I fail a lot. Baruch Hashem, at least you're aware that you're failing. Failing is not the worst part. Not even knowing that you're in a milhama, that's even worse. Every person that you see in a store, on the street, in shul, in your home, in somebody else's home, it's a nisayon. It's a milhama. You're either going backwards or you're going forwards. I'll end off by telling you that the Mesilat Yesharim says, Ki aikar metziut ha'adam ba'olam hazeh. If you ask me, so what's my purpose in this world? I'm here for a few years. I'm on a round trip. Now I'm going back one day. They put me in for a couple of years here. So tell me, what is my main purpose in this world? Says the Mesilat Yesharim. Aikar metziut ha'adam ba'olam hazeh. Your main purpose in this world, mine and yours, is la'amod benisayon. That's the purpose in life. Your purpose in life is how you stand the challenges of life. Not the big ones every six months. Those two. The little ones. The ones that you're facing and you may not even realize it. That's your main purpose in life. Why is that the main purpose in life? Simple. Hashem could have created us. Tzaddikim. Tzaddikot. From day one. No Yetzirah. We would be perfect in everything. But then that wouldn't be anything that we did. That would be His praise, not us. When you buy a beautiful computer, you don't praise the computer. You praise the manufacturer. Because the computer did nothing. It was the manufacturer that made it. It was the designer that produced it. Hashem gave us the chance to be great, us. Only through nisyonot. Only through challenges. And if you're having a hard time with something, the opposite. Step up. It's your chance to become something greater. Take your life back. Don't live on system one. Don't live on autopilot. There's no life in autopilot. You're not there. You're not involved. Don't say, that's what I do. That's who I am. That's what I'm used to. Don't do that. Don't be afraid to make decisions. You know, somebody, some of the Mepharshim ask, why did Hashem take the Jewish people into Mitzrayim and make them slaves? What'd they do? We understand Galut. We're in Galut now. Because things that happened in the time of the Beit HaMikdash, so we're still in exile. We understand. But in the time of Mitzrayim. Why did they go to Galut? For what reason? That's what the Al-Sheikh asked. The Al-Sheikh says, I don't understand. He says, Ra'ui kol ish hacham lev. Every wise person should think. Alma asa Hashem kacha. Likdoshim asher ba'aretz. Why would Hashem send the holy people, Yaakov Avinu and all his beautiful family, to Mitzrayim to become slaves? For what reason? What'd they do? And the answer is to this question is somewhere mentioned in the Torah, such a beautiful line. 
Hashem says to us in the Torah, Ve'etchem lakach Adonai, Hashem took you, Vayotzi etchem mikur habarzel, mimitzrayim. Hashem took you out of the iron furnace called Egypt. Egypt, Hashem calls it the iron oven, the iron furnace. What does that mean? That Hashem put us through the iron furnace. There was a group of Talmidim or Talmidot in Eretz Yisrael that were learning about this mashal in the Navi that was born in the Navi. And they couldn't understand the mashal because they never saw an iron furnace. They never saw a man with metal who was using the iron furnace. So they said, we're going to go on a trip and we're going to see what it is that they do. They went to watch and they saw the man taking the metal that was very dirty, had all types of things on it, and he's holding it above the fire, just like this. And he's watching it, and he's watching it, and he's turning it, and looks at it and puts it away. So they asked him, what are you doing? He said, well, I got this piece of metal, it's all dirty. So they asked him, so why don't you just put it in the fire? So no, if you put it in the fire and it stays too long in the fire, it's going to get destroyed. I have to hold it and constantly watch it. So they asked him, so tell us, how do you know when the metal is ready? How do you know when it's ready to go out of the fire? He says, when I look at the metal and I see my reflection clearly in the metal, I know the metal is clean. That's what it means, Hashem put us in Mitzrayim. He put us in Mitzrayim, in Kura Barzel, that we can become His reflection. That we can make ourselves much greater through going through slavery, through challenges, to purify our people. That was the preparation for the future of the Jewish nation. All the greatness that has come from our people came from Mitzrayim. Hashem prepared us. That's why the word Galut, means exile. The word galut also means to reveal. To reveal the beauty inside of us. Hashem puts us in galut. This is Hashem's job. To put us, each and every one of us, every day, in challenges that are appropriate for us. If it's not appropriate for us, He would not put us in that challenge. And every time we have a challenge, we should know it's an opportunity. And we must take advantage. A young girl walked into the kitchen. She saw her mother cutting onions. And her mother was tearing, crying from the onions. She says, Ma, what's going on? What happened to you? Why are you crying? She says, no, don't, honey, don't worry. We have a big sauda coming. I'm just cutting onions for the sauda. One day she walks into the kitchen and she sees 10 people cutting onions and they're all crying. They're all tearing. So what's going on here? And of course she knew that it must be not a small sauda. It must be a very big sauda that's happening here. That's the challenge of life. Small ones, big, bring tremendous hatzlaha. The bigger ones bring even bigger hatzlaha. The challenges of life is our purpose. 
Don't live an autopilot. Don't make a decision in life. Because perhaps the worst decision you can make in life is deciding that you're not going to make decisions. Don't ever say, I'll never change my mind. Don't ever say, I am who I am. Don't ever live because you've already lived this way. The decision of indecision is the biggest mistake and the biggest decision of your life. Every single moment is an opportunity, is a challenge. That's our mission and purpose in life. And that's the only way to get to Simcha. Because as you go through the life challenges, you constantly realize that this was placed for you and you gather the strength to put yourself over the top. Baruch Allah Amen Amen.